Hi, this is Jason, lead pastor of Casper Alliance Church. Thanks for stopping by our weekly teaching podcast from our Sunday morning worship gathering. Uh, this week is week number seven in the book of Acts, our fall series, uh, talking about how the church started. This I affectionately call the Bacon Doctrine. Uh, it's a, the vision of, and the conversion and the story of Peter uh, recognizing that God has sent his son Jesus to live, to die, not just for his Jewish brothers, but for the entirety of the world. And so he opens up uh, the door for uh, the floodgates of missions to pour out across the uh, world. So here we go. Hope you have a great day. Thanks for listening. Caleb, hand me that box of honey buns. Because I saw this in a row. <laughs> okay. I know our dream is to have every child that is here just stay at Casper Lions Church forever. But this is for parents. You're going to need to explain to your kids that not all tra- churches are created equal. And someday you might go to a church where you're not allowed to eat and drink and, and be completely free-spirited like we are here. I walk by and I see my, my two boys just, and I don't ask for permission for this. Ever. Was this purchased this morning? There's one left. <laughs> but here's the, here's what's fun. We we love that you have your coffee. We love that you come in here and that we're casual. But there is there are some churches where that's not necessarily kosher. And just just a parenting point, you might want to let them know that hey, not all churches are like our church. You need to keep your pants on when you go into church and act appropriate at church. And what's appropriate? I don't even know what's appropriate. Like we, I've been in three different churches as a leader, and they're all, and this goes with what I'm going to talk about. The church is being established as we're reading through Acts right now. And, and what we do now versus what happened in the first century, there's probably a little bit of difference, just even in the way we dress. But, but, the core elements of church, of what's happening in Acts, and what's trying to be established in Acts, and what we do, we try to hold true to that. Aside the honey buns and the coffee and the sanctuary, and, um, you know, I've been in churches where, like, you're not allowed to have coffee at church in the, in the sanctuary. You know why, right? Carpet. You'll spill it on the carpet. And the carpet matters. <laughs> so we don't have a lot of carpet left in this building. <laughs> but think about all the opinions that you have about church. Think about the things that you think are acceptable, the things that you uh, believe in, the things that you want to see happen, things that you hope for, the things that you hated that you've come from. The things that even used to happen in this church that you don't like and we're glad we do it differently or wish that we still did. All of those opinions and all of those ideas and all those wants are, I think, okay. And I don't ever want to like squash them or pretend like they're not uh, real because we have a collection of Jesus followers, people who claim to be Christians and people who are seeking and people who are just like invited to be here. People maybe that like, like, I don't even know how I got here because you know, my parents are here. So I got to be here too. That's, I think why Sierra is here most of the time. And so I, I got to be here. Ugh. And, but you still have a want. You still have a, a thing that, 
this is what church looks like, and this is what I want to experience when I walk into church. Now, while it's easy for us, all of us, including myself, to judge, um, like, I'll just be super transparent, sitting in the back, hoping that this section of church would fill up, because nobody wants to be on screen, so everybody sits in the back. <laughs> You're here, I know. You will make your presence known soon enough. I believe in you. I trust. I have experience. You No, no. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying you'll make your presence known. But everybody chuckled for a reason, Steve. They know. <laughs> but I'm thinking about maybe this, if this part of the church would fill up, then, then maybe everything would be different about church. Like, why am I thinking about it? Or if this place would fill up over here, what, where's my mindset, right? Now, we all have that, but it's in our own frame or our own, like, kind of, like, if this many people show up to Sunday school, or if I'm able to teach this kind of lesson, or we sing this particular song, or if we don't, you know, if, if somebody would stop banging on the piano, um, by the way, Nori, thank you for leading on the piano day. Anybody notice that this morning? Nori is like growing up before our eyes and she's played piano for worship this morning. That's incredible. But again, we have our own like desires for church and we have our own tradition. We have our own hopes and our own like, and we're building opinions about church in real time every single Sunday. And we're contributing that together. And so this is why I talk about transparency so much. Um, because we're building a church. And not because we're better or different, but because we're, that's what we're supposed to, we're followers of Christ. So let's build church. That's why we pray for our churches on Sunday, which I haven't done. We'll do that at the end today. We pray for the churches in Casper. We want to see Casper grow in Christ each and every week, week over week over week. And so this is no condemnation. It's just, it's an interesting part of who we are as we all come together every Sunday and we, and we gather and we do this thing that we call church. And I've often said that church isn't this. This is not church. Church happens in so many different layers. This is the gathering of the saints for a particular experience. I, I have a tough time even calling it a service because it feels like we're performing a service for you. Um, you could call it communion service. We're providing communion so we can take communion together or a baptismal service because we're providing baptism for people. But this is not what, this is not church. So when you say, I went to church today, yeah, you attended this building where you gathered with a bunch of believers. Church is the continual gathering of saints proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ day after day after day. Whether that's in a Sunday school class or a small group or in your homes, because we like to hang out together why is that not part of a reflection of our church when we gather, when we eat meals together? Or when we come and we listen to the, the guy with the plaid shirt and he talks. Uh, it's all part of church life. Wednesday night's part of church life. 
the workshops we do on Sunday, a part of church life. When we go on trips, and there are missions trips down the road, we're plan- there's a team planning a missions trip. They're thinking about what we're going to go, where we're going to go, and what sort of country Casper Alliance Church is going to invade. I mean, it's kind of, you, you arrive you arrive with a group of us, it's like, it is like an invasion. We're, we're big, pers- personality, we have opinions, we got things we're doing. We're here to fix it. But that's church life and experience, right? So this is what's happening in the book of Acts. And Luke is capturing it for us. He's capturing the beginnings of this. And so this, where we're at right now, Acts chapter 10 is, I affectionately call, I didn't hear this anywhere else. I feel like I'm the originator of this. And if somebody, you can fact check it, Google it while I, this is the Bacon Doctrine. This chapter is called the Bacon Doctrine in my mind. It is when bacon became the thing that we all love. It, bacon is so endeared by people nowadays. It's like it has its own culture. In Iowa, they have what's called Bacon Fest, where they, they go and they have something like that here too, I think. It's like whiskey and bacon or something like that, right? And I mean, orange juice and bacon tastes just as good, by the way. Uh, but they have a Bacon Fest and they, and they, they hold it they hold it at um, the, conven- the big convention center in Des Moines, and thousands of people show up to this thing, and they paid money to go in to pay more money to eat people's bacon. That, like, and so um, we were like, we, we're being indoctrinated to this whole bacon culture at Bacon Fest in Iowa. And so in our neighborhood where we lived, we had this rental home, and uh, our neighbors invited us to their own private Bacon Fest. It was on the same day, but we just weren't gonna drive to Des Moines and we were not gonna pay the money. We're not gonna... So everybody bring a bacon dish. And no joke, uh, like a group of like 30 to 40 people show up with kids and there's just bacon everywhere. And Adrienne made this bacon uh, weave like, when I say we, not like your hair, but like, um, it was like a crisscrossed bacon um, lattice. Yes, it was a bacon lattice, and I don't even know what was under it, if it was just that. What's that? Okay, she just said it was over macaroni and cheese. Everybody's like, whoa, can I get that? What's that? Oh, it was a bacon, see, it was a bacon lattice quesadilla. It would work, and it did. Let's, we're going to pause church and make bacon. And, um, but we gathered, we ate bacon, and we had fun, and we laughed. And, but, but before this, the first century Jewish believers were like, they did not have the tr- true joy of bacon. And so let's get into the story for just, just a minute it's a beautiful picture that ends with really where the church is supposed to be going, but it comes in these visions. So here's, here's the deal. I want to I I bookend it with, with two things. One is, at the beginning of time, when, when God established his creation and his people and, and he put them in the garden, it would, did not take long 
for them to decide to be their own masters, their own gods, and to sin, to deviate from God's plan, right? And from that moment, Genesis chapter three, I've talked about it so many times over the last couple of years, that moment, God had started his plan to, to, to redeem creation. And that plan had one person, the Messiah, Jesus Messiah. And so, so from, from beginning until all the way until today, it's always been about Jesus. And as we've gone through this entire year, and we have, I haven't talked about it very much, but in this year of biblical literature, we've, we've weaved these threads that really point to what's the story of Scripture. It's the story of Jesus. And so the, the rescue mission of Jesus Christ has been in the, in the fabric and the framework of the Scriptures from the beginning, from Genesis chapter 3. And here... On, in in um, Acts chapter 10, not only does the story and the, and the mission and the purpose of Jesus land on God's people, the Jews, it is now, ex- it like truly explodes to everyone under the sun. And that's an important uh, piece that we have to connect to in, in Acts chapter 10. Let me read this. In Caesarea, there lived a Roman, this is uh, chapter 10, verse 1, a Roman army officer named Cornelius, who was the captain of the Italian regiment. He was a devout, God-fearing man, as was everyone in his household. He gave generously to the poor and prayed regularly to God. One afternoon, about 3 o'clock, he had a vision in which he saw an angel of God coming toward him. Cornelius, the angel said. Cornelius stared at him in terror. What is it, sir? He asked the angel. And the angel replied, your prayers and gifts to the poor have been received by God as an offering. Now send some men to Joppa and send a man, send and summon a man named Simon Peter. He is staying with Simon, a tanner who lives near the seashore. As soon as the angel was gone, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier one of his personal attendants, he told them what had happened and he sent them off to Joppa. The next day, as Cornelius' messengers were nearing the town, Peter went up on a flat roof to pray. It was about noon and he was hungry, but, but while a meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw the sky open and something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners. In the sheet were all sorts of animals, reptiles, and birds. Then a voice said to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat them. No, Lord, Peter declared, I have never eaten anything, anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure or unclean. But the voice spoke again, do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. The same vision was repeated three times. Then the sheet was suddenly pulled up to heaven. Peter was very perplexed. What could the vision mean? Just then, the men sent by Cornelius found Simon's house, standing outside the gate. They asked if a man named Simon Peter was staying there. Meanwhile, Peter, as Peter was puzzling over the vision, the Holy Spirit said to him, three men have come looking for you. Get up, go downstairs, and go with them without hesitation. Don't worry, for I have sent them. So Peter went down and said, I'm the man 
you are looking for, why have you come? They said, we were sent here, sent by Cornelius, a Roman officer. He is a devout and God-fearing man, well-respected by all the Jews. A holy angel instructed him to summon you to his house so that he can hear your message. So Peter invited them in to stay for the night. The next day, they went, he went with them, accompanied by some of the brothers from Joppa. They arrived in Caesarea. The following day, Cornelius was waiting for them, and he had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered his home, Cornelius fell at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter pulled him up and said, stand up, I'm a human being just like you. So they talked together and went inside where many others were assembled. Peter told them, you know, it is against our laws for Jewish man to enter a Gentile home like this or to associate with you. But God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. So I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. Now tell me why you sent for me. Cornelius replied, four days ago, I was praying in my house about the same time. Three o'clock in the afternoon, suddenly a man in dazzling clothes was standing in front of me. He told me, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your gifts to the poor have been noticed by God. Now send messengers to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. He is staying in the home of Simon, a tanner who lives near the seashore. So I sent for you at once and it was good of you to come. Now we all are here waiting before God to hear the message the Lord has given you. And we hear, we heard what Brad read earlier. Peter begins to preach the good news to this household. Now, there's a handful of significant experiences going on. One is this is the largest narrative that Luke gives in the book of Acts, which means a couple of different things. One is there's a type of interpretation where when something's like prolonged in its execution and in the way in which, the way in which it's shared or told, it, it's supposed to place significance in your mind. So it's, it's uh, the length of the story should trigger something in our brain that say, I need to pay attention to this. This isn't one for me just to gloss over. So that's something that, that's important here. This is, the, this is the longest story that Luke has. Now, this is why. It's obvious, not only, and, and Peter himself declares that Luke captures it, it's, un, it's, I do not belong in a Gentile's home, it's impure for me to step in, I shouldn't be doing this, but God has shown me something that's changed in the message of the good news of Jesus Christ. There's something different now, and I've been, it's been revealed to me, it's something that's been the same, and that's been the right way the whole time, but there was this framework in which the Jews lived, and now it's time to shift. Verse 34, then Peter replied, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. In every nation, he accepts those who fear him and do what is right. This is, this is the message of good news for the people of Israel, that there is peace with God through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. <laughs> Amen. We're not going to read chapter 11. Um, at the end of chapter 11, what's happening is you have the beginning. Peter explains. He goes back to Jerusalem. He explains his actions, what's doing, and, he, and what, where we're going here. And the first Gentile church is established, the church of, and I talked about it last week, and I want us to be a church like that, the church of Antioch. And it's the first place, the first place where they were called Christians. 
What is a Christian? What is a Christian? A Christ follower. Many of us, uh, and there's a lot of people you run into that would say, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian because I grew up in America. This is a Christian nation, so I'm a Christian. They would think of it like uh, a nationality in some ways. That's not true. That's not real. Um, I was reading a little bit about uh, Charles Hodge is an old theologian. Uh, he started at Princeton. He's no longer with us for like 100, 200, 300 years, something like that. He said, Christianity is someone who's constrained by the love of God. Someone who's imprisoned. Someone who's held down, tied down, controlled by the love of God. I, I've called myself a Christian for a number of years, probably 30, 35, 36 years. Um, and I'm only 29, so it was pre-birth that I was a believer. But I, I've called my Christian for myself a Christian for a long time. And I'm not, don't hear bad theology in what I'm about to say. But I haven't had Christian behavior. And I haven't been constrained or controlled or, or like held down by the love of God. I haven't been compelled to act based on my Christian life. I was a Christian because I grew up in church. I was a Christian because my parents raised me the right way. I was a Christian because I knew the answers to the right questions. I was a Christian and that's what I thought until some moments in my life, which I can go into at a different time and you guys are like, what are those moments? Those are for our Sunday school class. You should come. I talk about it a lot. But have I been controlled and constrained by Jesus and his love? Am I compelled to act and, and live out my life in a way that's being controlled by the love of Christ? Now, here's what's interesting. This last Friday, I was doing my little side hustle. If you want to know what about it, I'll tell you after church. And I was at KFC. And a guy followed me into the bathroom. And he wanted to talk while I was going to the bathroom. Now that might happen at KFC all the time. I don't know, I'm not a frequent flyer at KFC. I have had a bad meal at KFC and I did learn last week that there is a KFC buffet in Gillette still. So we will have a church road trip up there just to experience that at some point. But this guy follows me into KFC and he uh, is clearly, um, what's the word they say in the 21st century? He's lit, like not in the cool way, but like hyper intoxicated. So much so that I was getting like secondhand breath intoxication myself. And he got like, Aaron, let's demonstrate. That, that is, uh, that's the urinal right there. And you're me, go be there. No, you, you, that's the wall, the urinal. Turn around. There you go. <laughs> Hi, would you like to, I need to talk oh, no. to you. <laughs> now I haven't, I was saving this so my, my family could experience it in real time. That's, that's how close he got. And he was breathing, thank you for demonstrating me at the urinal. He was breathing over, like over my shoulder. And I, I did, there's a better story about Comerica Park that you can ask Carter about when he was a little kid. I didn't, I was done going to the bathroom and I turned and I was like, whoa, dude, get out of my space. 
And I'm sure that the people and the, the, like the employees at KFC is like, oh no, another Friday in KFC. Here we go. There's some sort of fight breaking out in the bathroom. And I was like, listen, I'm trying to go to the bathroom. And he's like, do you have time to talk? I was like, no, I'm delivering food. Because I was. I felt so guilty about that. Because I, this guy, I did not give him one second of my time. I did not give him one moment of, of my thoughts. I wanted to get as far away from him as possible. I didn't want to have any interaction with him. I, he, and I'm not afraid of people. And I've worked fast food for a number of years. I know how crazy the bathrooms get. But, a, a, and I'm not saying I'm not a believer, but you hear me. Am I controlled by the love of God? Am I controlled by the work of Christ's work in my life? No, I wanted to flee from that so fast. I didn't want to have anything. Now, I'm not going to turn and be like, hey, would you like to know the four spiritual laws? Like, I'm not doing that either. That doesn't work. But there's a compassion that should overtake me to say, man, this guy's hurting. No, I don't have the time, fella, because I'm doing this particular thing. But I hope you have a good day. Can I buy, your, can I buy you lunch? I'm sure that's all he wanted. I'm sure he was looking for some money for, for lunch. He followed another <laughs> young guy into the bathroom, and I laughed, and I left. And I was like, oh. But I felt, why? Why is it? That, that's not to guilt me or guilt you. It's not. We love Jesus, and there's a way to apply it. There's a way in which, which we need to continue to live out our call to be Christians and our call... But when I say I'm a Christian, does, and this is just something I'm wrestling with, does my attitude, does my emotion, does my word, do my words, do my behaviors reflect that? Am I a Christian because I've been controlled by the work and the love of Jesus in my life? Now you can take that and apply it however you need to in your life. I know one of the things that I need to do before I react is I need to pause. That's something that God's asked me to do. Pause before I say the thing that I really want to say. That might apply for preaching too. But it brought up some questions for me. If we're going to build a church and we want to build this church on this confession that Jesus is Lord... What sort of people are we going to interact with? What sort of people are we willing to welcome into our church? You know that? That's a crazy thing to say. What sort of people are welcome here? But you know it goes through our heads. You know we think about it. One of the uh, most special things I think this church has done since I've been around is they have loved, loved people well. People who have come and needed help, people who needed a meal, uh, people who have needed rent paid, we've done a good job of it. One of the people who who've, has received some money from us, um, I saw on, on Friday also. This is crazy, by the way. It wasn't this Friday. It was actually last Friday, I think. Pulled up to Jay's Pub in an Escalade. And I was like, oh, they got us. That happens. That shouldn't deter us. That should say we want to continue to be generous with what God's given us 
and if people come asking for help. Look what Cornelius was, was credited for, giving to the poor, being a devout man and giving to the poor. Now, this isn't a message to say we need to give more to the poor. It's just saying that his attitude, his heart, was already reflecting one who loved God, and he needed to hear the message of Messiah, the message of Jesus. And, and Peter goes in and preaches to them, and they all get baptized. They all get dunked, <clears throat> and they all follow Christ. And then the... And then, <clears throat> The Holy Spirit begins to move amongst his people. And I long for that with us as a people. As we're building this church, what sort of people are coming into this church unexpectedly that we can love, that we can care for, that we can respond in a way that's Christ-like and responsible at the same time, that's generous and prudent, that's caring and provides conviction for behavior. If we're a spirit-filled following family who loves Jesus, is empowered by, by the Spirit of God, we have the ability to not only speak truth, but we get to do it in love. So we can say the hard things at the hard times with somebody who needs to hear a hard message and do it with our arms wrapped around them and say, we love you because Jesus has constrained me and compelled me to love you. It's like picking their pocket while hugging them. We remind them that they need Christ at the same time telling them we love them so deeply and dearly. What sort of people are, is God gonna bring to us? As soon as we make ourselves available to that ministry, I promise the doors will be open to things that we're not used to. But I want us to wrestle with how do we respond to certain people? Peter's response to this Gentile was, God's compelled me to come into your home. God's compelled me to preach the good news to you. God's compelled me to teach me that there's no favoritism, that, that the, the message of Jesus, that truly he is the son of God, that he came, he lived, he died for our sin is truth, and I'm going to share that with you, that you can have forgiveness for your brokenness, and God will have victory over death because he was raised, Jesus was raised on the third day, the, the story of redemption. And Peter steps into his house, and preaches to his family. And the Gentile wave of Christianity starts. And the greatest probably church that funds most of the missions that go out in the first century is the church of Antioch. So when Paul gets rolling and Paul and Barnabas get rolling, Antioch is like, do it, do it, do it. We got, and that's what I, I want us to be that. To where you come here, you get blessed, you get fed, you get cared for, and you get sent out to go do God's work. I want us to wrestle with these questions. How are the different people that could potentially show up at Casper Alliance Church different from the majority of people in this church already? You know, even, even Wyoming has that kind of culture, doesn't it? Come for vacation, pay the lodging tax. Please don't stay. We don't need your kind here. You can buy a house from California, but don't bring your politics. It's, it's, a, it's baked into who we are. 
That's why, like, I think Wyoming just collects introverts. That's like the, it's like a magnet for introverts. It's like anybody who, who dislikes people, it's like the perfect church for me. I'm not, I don't like people, and I can just stand up here and talk, and nobody cares if I like them because nobody likes me either, and we can all just kind of go in our separate little hubs and just kind of be, that's the why, it's baked into who we are as people. And so the question is, as a church begins to add number and people come, are we able to put aside our bias to put aside what we think, even some of our like um, desires or what I started out with, the things we want to have in church, the things that we think is church, put that aside and welcome in a way to where we can preach the good news, to we can share the truth of Messiah, and we can help nurture and care for the hurt and lost soul. We have to be aware of our bias. I read this from uh, Paul Reese. He says this, the gospel is neither a discussion nor a debate. It's an announcement. Right? Wow. It's a proclamation. The good news is an announcement. It's not something that we wrestle with or debate with or we, or we nitpick. Now, there is some fun doctrine that we can, um, spiritual cow pies is what we call them, that we can like step in all day long and have a good time with, Right? But the good news of Jesus Christ, that he came to die the sinner's death for your sin. He was put on this cross to pay for our sin. From the beginning of time, that's been the mission. And was resurrected three days later to show victory over death and sin so that you could have life in him by proclaiming he is Lord. He is truly the son of God. He came and I believe and I put my hope in him. That sort of belief constrains us, as Charles Hodge says. It, it controls us, and it changes it, it, what it does. Anybody have sunglasses in here? I've done this analogy before, right? It's like putting Jesus' glasses on, and you see people the way in which Christ sees people. I want to believe when Jesus is going to the cross, and he's getting beaten and hung, that he's not like, I just, he sees Every last one of us, from the woman at the well to his most trusted followers, to where no matter who and what person is in front of him, he's like, I am dying and giving my life up for you. I love you so much that I'm willing to be murdered on this thing for you. I don't care about your past. I don't care about your current. I care about your future. And I'm dying for you. When that sort of faith in that and belief in that and clinging to that happens in our soul, it changes the way we talk to people. It changes the way we interact with people. It changes how we care for people. One last illustration. I'm going to invite the worship team up now. I was reading, I got, last week um, was Yom Kippur, right? Any Yom Kippur's last week. Um, I got lost in a Wikipedia downward spiral this last week, or it was actually yesterday, studying some stuff. And um, I asked Adrienne, how do you say this name? And she said it one way, and I was said it in my name, right? So the Yom Kippur War. Anybody, anybody familiar with that, right? Um, so I was reading about Henry Kissinger. So Henry Kissinger, and I, I got lost in Yom Kippur War. 
That, that's the... <laughs> so Henry Kissinger would say, if you know that anybody... Who doesn't know who Henry Kissinger is? Raise your hand. Thank you. Everybody that's younger than... Right. That's the Spiro Agnew principle. Henry Kissinger would say one of his biggest mistakes was that he missed the Yom Kippur War. That he, he was so concerned with peace in Vietnam and trying to work through that that he missed that this, this buildup, even though they had information. But essentially, the uh, Arab countries invaded or tried to fight over the Sinai Peninsula, and there was a war. It was like 20-some days. And Israel kicked some serious tail, like serious tail. And uh, Golda, uh, you're saying it wrong. It's Golda Meir, by the way, just by the way. Because um, I asked her, and I, Golda Meir. Golda Meir was a, um, this was like her claim to fame. And she, and there's movies being made about it right now. And she just, she led hard during that space. But Henry Kissinger talks about, and this is a loss. This is where I got lost. That was a, that was a John Weeby rabbit trail, like, that was like with icing and ugly candles and everything. <laughs> it's pretty, that was just a mess. Anyway, it was about Henry Kissinger. Henry Kissinger tells a story about when he was at, uh, at Harvard. And he was, had a colleague there who passed out, who gave an assignment, a paper, writing a paper. And the student turned it in. And it was turned back to him. And with no comments nothing. It was turned back in. Um, the, the professor finally wrote something on it. Is this your best? This is, and Henry Kissinger tells this story that this colleague did this 10 times to the student. Is this your best? He kept sending the paper back. Is this your best? Is this your best? Is this your best? And finally the student said, yes, I think this is my best. And the professor said, okay, I'll read it now. The question I have for us is, is this our best for church? Are we doing our very best? This isn't a criticism. This is like, am I showing up and doing my very best? And it's not that God's waiting for us to say we're ready now, that he's ready to receive us as a church. It's, are we doing our very best as people who are constrained, as Charles Hodge says, by the love and the work of Christ to where every Sunday or every Wednesday or every time we gather or every time we present ourselves in public, and this, this is the thing that made me feel guilty about the KFC experience. You just have to, you, you can, if you find my name out, you Google, you, you, it's immediately associated with Casper Alliance Church. Every time I'm out there, Am I doing my very best as a leader of the church? Are you doing your very best as somebody who loves the Lord to be compassionate, to be caring, to be kind with your words? We're going to have t-shirts made here pretty soon. Casper Alliance Church t-shirts. And I heard this quote, and I had it written down already um, from, what's his name? Uh, Philo of Alexandria. Philo, Philo of Alexandria. It says, Be kind for everyone is in a battle for their life. Can we be kind? Are we doing our very best by being kind? We're Christians. Does that word mean something to us? In the church of Antioch, when they were called Christians, it meant something. And there was a wave, a wave of missionary activity and new believers because of it. Let's stand and